0: Hey, and welcome to episode 27 of the Thodcast Conversations about Animation. I'm your host, Philip Elke, coming to you from Hollywood. And today I am joined by the one and only Jody Pulaski. Hey, Jody, how's it going?
1: Hey, Philip, and hey, everyone else. Uh, I'm back down south, so I'm no longer in Minnesota. And I am so excited to revisit one of my favorite 90s movies today. Uh, Everything in my life has been Aladdin, everywhere, all the time, so I'm super excited that we're going to be visiting this adventurous movie today.
0: Yes, adventure. If adventure has a name, it must be Indiana Jones. No, uh, (laughs) Aladdin, (laughs) which uh, very much inspired by some of the pulp uh, adventure serials, which would influence films like, you know, Indiana Jones and what, Romancing the Stone in the 1980s, James Bond. Uh, This movie that we're talking about today has a similar vibe. It's uh, the subject that we have neglected a bit too much on this show, that being classic hand-drawn Disney animation. The only other hand-drawn Disney project that we reviewed on the show was um, Steamboat Willie. We did a brief episode on that, Dawson and I. Mm -hmm. and um, we also did a, an episode discussing all of the Disney princesses, uh, which introduced our audience to uh, Jody. Uh, you, you joined us for that. And uh, we're very grateful for your perspective on the, the princess characters as you, uh, you're very familiar with that subject.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We had to kind of, in that episode, cram all the princesses into one episode. So it's kind of fun that this time we can give Princess Jasmine a little more attention. Um, She's probably one of the favorites out there. So, yeah, I'm excited to dig into this one. Um, Like I said before, when we kicked it off, this is one of my favorite Disney movies. Um, I love all the Disney Renaissance ones. I think that's like Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, uh, and and Aladdin, and maybe Lion King as well.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, the Disney Renaissance. So, Aladdin came out in 1992, it was immediately following uh, the previous year's Beauty and the Beast. And then the first film in the Disney Renaissance was, of course, The Little Mermaid in 1989, um, directed by Ron Clements and John Musker, who uh, returned today to uh, provide the uh, direction on Aladdin. And uh, they also were uh, writers on on the film as well. Uh, Ron Clements and John Musker, the masterminds behind uh, firstly, The Great Mouse Detective, uh, one of the pivotal films in the mid eighties, I believe it was 1986 that um, did that, ensured the survival of Walt Disney feature animation. Um, that was a point when the studio was struggling heavily and if they didn't generate a hit, it would have been uh, conceivable that they would, that Disney would have shut down their anime wow. <laughs> division. That's so
1: hard to imagine. I mean, they say, like, pressure makes a diamond, so it probably was crunch time. And then they just started knocking it out of the park with all of these movies, like the list you mentioned. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are maybe because we're 90s kids. Those are some of the best known, I mean, animated movies of all time. Aladdin being one of them.
0: Mm-hmm. Still to this day, um, th- they've You know, after the Disney renaissance, uh, which really consisted primarily of four films, uh, Little Mermaid, Beating the Beast, Aladdin, and then The Lion King in 1984, uh, the studio struggled to uh, reach or attain that level of success with one of their hand-drawn films ever again. Um, And then, like, it wasn't until... um, tangled in 2010 that one of their films reached number one at the uh, opening weekend box office
1: right and they've had some i mean since then great success with moana frozen and those mm-hmm. movies so they're they're back at it they're in their uh, second renaissance
0: <laughs> yeah they they have since had <laughs> um yeah would you still consider this a second renaissance we'll see uh well, see. well frozen 2 up next so, um, you know, should be a hit. Uh, if it we're... will be a hit. <laughs>
1: listeners, stick uh, with us, it's gonna be a hit. That's gonna be probably our favorite episode of all time, but yeah, we still have a few more months to go. So, for now, we'll stick to Aladdin. <laughs> yes,
0: yeah, so, uh, getting into the 1992 animated classic Aladdin, it, uh, it was conceived based on a uh. Folktale from the Middle East. So this is some multiculturalism injected into the Disney film library. I guess some much needed multiculturalism. Uh, Most of their films up to this point had been based on uh, European fairy tales and folktales.
1: Did you ever read that book, Philip? I remember reading that. um, Okay. Arabian Nights. Yes. It's it's a lot different. I mean, Aladdin is kind of like one of the many, many stories that the princess is telling her husband because he has this thing where he marries women and then he kills them the next day. I don't know if it's because he's bored or whatever. So she starts telling him these very intricate, engaging stories. And Aladdin is one of the the many, many stories she tells him throughout the book, throughout his her stories.
0: Wow. I didn't know that. I, I've it's never read. One. Yeah, The Arabian. That's a... Uh, a macabre framing device. If so, yeah, the the story of Aladdin was added to this collection of folk tales in the 18th century. The in the book, it's set in what what's uh, described as like China, um, but this you know it it might have been a region of China that's very Middle Eastern because China is just so vast. It does kind of stretch to you know the Afghanistan, Middle East on the uh, western side.
1: Right. Um, I think you mentioned that uh, Disney's Aladdin is kind of based loosely on Persia. Uh, that was kind of in one of your notes. Um, so that's kind of what you're seeing right with, uh, with the setting of their movie.
0: Yeah, ultimately, they went for very familiar looking Middle Eastern aesthetic, uh, based largely on like ancient Persia, ancient Iraq. Um, You know, if you, even the Taj Mahal in India is a a big uh, influence on, you know, the the design of the palace in Agrabah. Uh, We were introduced to the setting during the opening musical number, um, which then gives us our own little framing device for this film with the merchant uh, setting up shop in Agrabah. And, and once it, it cuts away from him sort of narr- narrating the beginning of the story, we, we never return to this character. But the merchant character is sort of a much needed entry point into this sort of zany, wacky world populated by, you know, comic uh, talent like Robin Williams and um, Gilbert Gottfried um, it uh, was necessary to establish that it's okay to laugh at this right. zany adventure, as much as it is like a, you know, it's supposed to be uh, an exciting action story uh, and an, an adventure. Um, it's also very much a comedy and a, and a broad comedy at that. It's um, it's much more cartoony than essentially any of the previous films and the Disney animated Canon
1: yeah it gets pretty over the top especially with the character of the genie once once he's introduced but um mm-hmm. but first I mean you, you bump into Jafar which is a pretty edgy scary <laughs> character so I think they did a good job balancing that all out um, with the genie yes you know, a lot of people have been talking about Robin Williams you know since since his passing and I was thinking you know this was probably one of the the only times that a supporting character is like the main character, do you know what I mean? Like the genie isn't,
0: mm-hmm. it's not called
1: the genie, it's called Aladdin, <laughs> but but uh, that character becomes such a presence that uh, it's pretty much one of the first things people think about when they think about this movie.
0: It's, yeah, hugely influential in the way uh, celebrity talent would be treated from then on in animated production. Um, and you know, it wouldn't really be until like Shrek, nine years later, that the you know the stop was fully pulled on just how blatantly the these films would bank on their star power and um, use these uh, celebrities as a marketing device. Um, they they did that a little bit with Aladdin um, against Robin Williams' wishes. Uh, he uh one of his conditions for working on the film was that they wouldn't use him as a marketing tool um the, the uh the studio kind of reneged on this uh, and they reneged heavily actually once it got down to you know clo- approaching the film's release and um the, there are, i guess a few reasonings. i mean jeffrey katzenberg the head of walt disney studios at the time um just was was kind of a a cutthroat player in hollywood so right
1: i remember reading about sort of that whole thing um not too many years ago and i remember reading that robin williams like his original asking fee to voice the character was like in the millions but he took like you can look it up i think it was like 75 Mm -hmm. maybe eighty thousand dollars um like with the condition that he, like you said he, he wasn't going to be used for for too much
0: yeah yeah he he went way against what his you know he agents would have requested as the usual rate so that he could just be a part of the uh, the animation tradition and uh they because they didn't honor that honors wishes he you know had a, a very kind of public falling out with the studio and with Jeffrey Katzenberg. Um, Jeffrey Katzenberg would then leave the studio in 1994 and uh, his successor did you know, make a very public apology to uh, Robin Williams and, and was able to ultimately reconcile so that he would return to, um, to voice the genie in later projects. Most notably, the uh, third direct-to-video sequel to Aladdin, uh, Aladdin and the King of Thieves. And um, the first direct-to-video sequel to Aladdin, uh, fun fact, is is also the first uh, direct-to-video sequel to any Disney animated film. Uh, and that would spawn a whole trend of, of these sort of, um, I mean, less aesthetically... Uh, <laughs>
1: less aesthetically pleasing (laughs)
0: pleasing yes Um, you can
1: critique the animation this is a podcast about animation philip go for it
0: or uh what's the word i was going to use less aesthetically adherent to the (laughs) the you know what what the originals looked like of course yeah the direct-to-video projects obviously not given nearly the budget of of something feature, um you know feature length intended for theatrical run. Um, But uh, they they did provide sort of valuable training ground for up and coming animators. And uh, Disney definitely up their production volume heavily uh, during this Renaissance period. And um, that, that could have been what sort of led to the, you know, losing of the luster somewhat the fact that they were, they were putting out films every year, sometimes more than one in a single year. Um, and they just didn't have, they, they kind of had their talent spread out across multiple projects rather than you know, their A-team devoted to, to a singular project as they did with like Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin. Um, things splintered off a little more with um, The Lion King and then Pocahontas, uh, which were released, close together lion king being a massive hit pocahontas not so much but then yeah from then on you you wouldn't see quite the same level of success as you would a a lion king or an aladdin um aladdin grossed domestically over 200 million dollars at the box office which for 1992 was insane it was the highest grossing film of 1992
1: I was just going to say, I wish I had seen it in theaters, but I guess I'm going to get the opportunity to see the live action in theaters, which will be close enough. But uh, close that, enough. <laughs> I mean, not close enough, but I mean, it would have been very cool to see this, this one on the big screen. So I don't know if they ever do that, if they, they take mm-hmm. these classics and bring them back for like a short duration in theaters, but I would, I would love to see it. I mean, today I watched it on my laptop yeah. and it's, it's still beautiful.
0: No, um, it was cool a great. To... It was a great joke. <laughs> oh, <laughs> thanks. Well, and, and I don't know. I, I'm not going to prejudge the remake. You know, the live action.
1: Yeah, episode. we'll leave that one for another podcast.
0: mm mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. We haven't seen it yet, and of course, we're doing this episode in honor and in anticipation, in anticipation of the upcoming, uh, not 2019 Aladdin. We, we we do open on you know not the main characters of the film uh the the merchant and then cutting to the introduction Jafar. of Jafar um and i can't remember the little uh <laughs> the hit man, or um
1: the not diamond in the house they have <laughs> yeah. they have kind of like a a little thief that they're going to try to send into the cave of wonders and i mean unfortunately he doesn't do the trick obviously we know yeah. the story there and then we open up on the real thief mm-hmm. that we need the thief that everyone wants aladdin um, yes the his opening number uh, booming like one fanfare jump ahead or something
0: one jump ahead i love that song. i believe is the name of the song <laughs> um yeah kind of introducing aladdin as this heroic but also not so heroic figure um he's he's obviously very athletic and agile but um, (laughs) yes introducing oh
1: go ahead no. no i was just gonna say he is like voiced by one of my favorite actors from full house uh scott how do you say his last name wanger wanger yeah, he is Steve from the Full House. Uh, was it Nick and Knight that did the Full House series?
0: Uh, I guess the the reruns. Maybe the original run Nick at was Night. Nick and Knight. Is
1: what? Um, but Steve is like no. the cool boyfriend of DJ in that show, and then so to have him voicing this cool tan guy jumping from the ceiling and stealing bread for kids is just like so cute
0: yeah he's portrayed by the um and jasmine princess jasmine's voice by linda larkin and i don't think she had done a whole lot she's probably more of a broadway performer which Uh,
1: well maybe not because their singing voices are not their like speaking voices so I, i don't know if it would have been a broadway voice because then you'd think she would have done her own songs yeah
0: i mean there are still plenty of broadway uh actors who just didn't have the quite the desired range oh
1: okay
0: you know the Mm -hmm. music supervisors wanted on on these films um i think and i think a lot of these actors you know if they aren't doing um a lot of screen credits um they're Bread and butter is st- the stage, um, not necessarily Broadway. That's just one small aspect of it. Um, yeah, Linda Larkin, prior to Aladdin, um, she only has one, two, four credits here on uh, the IMDb. Um, no no feature films. She oh. was on Doogie Howser, Mur- Murder, She Wrote and ferris bueller tv series
1: huh i don't think i have seen any mm. of those but uh we should note jafar he was a broadway actor as well jonathan freeman right yes uh, so maybe they maybe they picked them all up in one big scoop off the stage and put him in a recording studio <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah it's hard to say how um how they discovered all these all the talent but um yeah Linda larkin best known as the speaking role about as the speaking voice of Princess Jasmine, um, Scott Weinger kind of in a similar boat. Um, Jonathan Freeman who plays Jafar would go on to play Jafar in the stage adaptation of Aladdin. Oh, I didn't
1: know that. Have you listened to yeah. the soundtrack of the the Broadway's Aladdin?
0: I have not, no.
1: It's I had not watched the animated, you know, movie until today for, for quite a while. Um, and, and recently I was listening to the Broadway soundtrack and you can see exactly where, uh, cause obviously the Broadway one has, has, has more songs in it. Mm-hmm. And now that I'm watching the animated one, you can see exactly where these Broadway songs would fit in. And it's like, I just want them to now remake the animated one with a Broadway, uh, score because, uh, the Broadway, the Broadway version is very good. So that's cool that he was able to, you know, voice Jafar and then, did he play Jafar on stage? Is that the same character he played?
0: Yes, yeah.
1: Cool, that would yeah. be amazing. Mm-hmm. Good for him.
0: Yeah, um, so Ron Clements and John Musker who would go on to also direct Hercules, Treasure Planet, Princess and the Frog, and Moana, um, describe having a lot more movie than they were able to put into one you know, 90 minute animated oh. film. Yeah. Um, dealing, dealing with time constraints and well they
1: did a they uh, did a great job with it I mean like we said they jump right on into the plot as they're you know trying to figure out how to get this lamp to get to the genie to get the wishes and I think in the original story the wishes are unlimited but I mean mm. plot twist in this one you only have three which I think is a uh, cute because like when you were a little kid did you ever say oh if you had three wishes what would they be like I remember thinking that a lot and it was probably based off of this movie that we all thought like someday we'd get three wishes but obviously aladdin wishes it's his first wish to become free of the cave sorry i'm hopping forward never mind
0: no that's fine. i can't
1: remember what his three wishes are i mean obviously one is to be a prince but
0: there are some like youtube vloggers who (laughs) post videos like debating what what the wishes actually are and uh, th- there's some interesting sort of think pieces about this movie uh, because it, it it is very cartoonish. Uh, mm-hmm. Robin Williams described it as a Warner Brothers cartoon dressed in Disney drag, <laughs> um, partly despi- inspired by the work of Tex Avery, uh, one of the original animators behind characters like uh, Buzz- Bugs Bunny and Elmer uh, Fudd and, um, And New York Times caricaturist Al Al Hirschfeld was a big inspiration for the designs, Uh, very like wavy S-shaped designs um, that are, I guess, reminiscent of Arabic writing. Uh, The animator Eric Goldberg was uh, the lead animator behind the genie and also designed the character sort of as a caricature of himself. Uh, but also heavily influenced by the work of Al Hirschfeld, um, and and that would just go on to inspire the whole aesthetic of of this film. Um, in this opening uh, introduction to Aladdin, he's running through the streets of Agrabah, uh, running from the guards. The guards, yes, mm-hmm. palace guards. Um, Iranian Razul Azadani. Uh, served as the layout supervisor on this film. Uh, he was heavily influential in the, the uh, design of the streets of Agrabah. Um, and uh, I, I think he, he conducted several trips to the Middle East to gather references and inspiration. Um, the, the production design was provided by Richard der Wend. Um, just such a very stylistically rich film. And um, one theme in the commentaries that I watched was just how synergistic and unified the whole aesthetic of this film was compared to virtually any other uh, film that the studio had worked on previously. Um, also what a fun sort of break it was to be able to play, a bit fast and loose with the animation, um, which is always fun for for animators to just be able to go as zany and broad as possible. Yeah,
1: it's really whimsical the way that, not just the characters are, but like everything, like you said, the animals and the world of it all. Uh, It's a fun one to watch and it's definitely one of the most engaging. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think it's because you can tell the animators had fun with every little detail from whether it's like that, uh, when you meet the Sultan, Jasmine's father, and he's building a tower of animals. Oh, yeah, Do you that? he's almost childlike, the Sultan is, so he's sort of just playing with his toys when Jafar comes in so to make some demand. But, but all of it, every little detail of this movie is so fun, you know?
0: Yeah, the colors, um, just everything. The if you look closely at the scene of the stack of toys that the sultan's playing with like you can see a little a beast you can? <laughs> yeah oh, i've
1: never caught that no i, I was probably wasn't watching close enough this morning i'll have to now watch it again
0: it's hard to catch you have to kind of pause right away or else it'll pan up away from it um, yeah there's um one of the favorite bits of just broadness of the design of, of all the various characters in this film or when um jasmine you know jumping to when she's exploring the streets of agrava and then you have the one street vendor who catches her stealing and his hands are the size of her torso
1: Jeez, <laughs> <Just hilarious. laughs> seeing
0: the contrast between those, those designs and then mm-hmm. making them work together um yeah,
1: unrealistic body expectations, Philip.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah, the proportions are pretty, pretty whimsical.
0: So yeah, Aladdin in- introduced uh, as a very charming individual. It's kind of, you know, some question as to how someone like him would end up uh, homeless and on the street the way he is. It's it's not addressed too heavily in the film. Um, I, I know an original concept was a song, I believe, written by the late Howard Ashman, who had unfortunately passed prior to the release of this film, um, musical writing partner of uh, composer Alan Menken, who did the score for this film, uh, the, the song Proud of Your Boy, which made it into the Broadway production.
1: Um, that is my favorite on the Broadway uh- song list is proud of your boy i didn't realize that that was something they were toying with for this
0: yeah it was, it was written for this film
1: but like you said i mean they can't fit absolutely everything in the movie would be 85 hours long
0: mm-hmm. so
1: they have to make cuts and i mean it, it's nice to see different renditions of the same story i'm not gonna talk too much about the live action but it is really cool to see you know the animated versus the broadway show and now we get to see the live action and see what, what things they pull in and what things they take out and how they play with it um, for the audience.
0: Yeah, I have to imagine they'll include that song. That's always a very heavily tearjerker moment during the, the Broadway show, mm-hmm. which, which I haven't seen. I've just, I know certain details of it. The, the, that moment is truncated a little bit in this film where Alan's returning to his hideout and he does the reprise of one jump ahead, you know, riff raff, street rat. <laughs> I don't. Buy I that. love the reprise.
1: That's yeah. what I wrote in my notes. I said, I said that's like what almost one of my favorite parts of the whole movie.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, very beautiful. Um,
1: and it gives him that depth of like, sure, he's this like silly thief, like running around, like trying to beat the guards with his little friend Abu, but like he really does have this like sense of wanting to be more and like i mean that's something i think everyone can relate to with the story is like he wants to you know discover himself discover his destiny and be more than just like this guy they see riffraff you know mm-hmm. and to establish that and he goes on a pretty mm-hmm. wild journey but at the end i mean he makes it there i mean he he finds true love and yeah he realizes he doesn't need magic to to be happy
0: so the book of aladdin is uh, based on a combination of Michael J. Fox. Um, that, that's maybe more so his manner, mannerisms. Um, but um, Jeffrey Katzenberg um, didn't didn't like the direction they were going with Aladdin initially where he's a bit more boyish and youthful, that he wanted something a bit more masculine. So suggested uh, looking at the work of Tom Cruise Hmm. Uh, fresh <laughs> off of a series of hits back in the late 80s and early 90s um, so still to this day like, what's that this, oh yeah
1: free like, jumping on the couch tom cruise like used to be like a heartthrob but now i think he's still
0: i mean little... he's still uh, you know Yay! pulling out the hits with these mission impossible films so it's crazy um how, but don't
1: forget him <laughs> jumping on the couch.
0: <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I've, it's just a couch. Um, yeah. And you're seeing that with a lot of these action stars from the 90s coming back in these huge, you know, spectacle films um, with, you know, like Keanu Reeves with John Wick and, and um, Will Smith has a movie coming out.
1: Called Aladdin.
0: Well, that and... Uh, <laughs> gemini man with uh, an action movie um yeah it's like <laughs> once you're an action star it doesn't matter you know you're you're never not one <laughs> you're always wow. an action star uh up until basically the grave and, and then also mc hammer provided the uh
1: really he was the inspiration <laughs> for the aladdin look.
0: the pant, the parachute pants
1: oh my gosh you're so right the mm-hmm. parachute pants I did not know that, and that is a fun fact. I I don't know where you read it, but it must be true. That is funny.
0: I don't know if uh, I have similar trivia on the design of Jasmine. I imagine they referenced a few different stars at the time Uh to, to obtain her look.
1: I don't know who they were inspired by, but (laughs) she is gorgeous. Before we started recording, I was saying that she is probably one of, I mean, I don't know how you rank them. I mean, you could do Dawson's hot level, but like she is beautiful. Her hair, her um, teal, uh, I don't even know what you call it, her costuming Mm -hmm. against her skin and her big brown eyes. I think she is one of the most beautiful princesses. And something extra special about her is she is the first princess of color that Disney you know, brings in, which is a a huge step, and she's amazing.
0: Oh, I suppose um, one influence for Jasmine was probably Elizabeth Taylor, who played uh, Cleopatra. That could very well be, yeah. Uh, Elizabeth Taylor played Cleopatra, and and of course was one of the biggest, um, you know, femme femme uh, (laughs) fatales, biggest stars of, of her day. Uh, heartthrob, female leads um, back in the 1960s. Cleopatra came out in 1963. I think there's something written here. 10,000 years will give you such a crick in the neck. Say the magic words. Genie, I wish for you to make me a prince. He has the lamb. We're never going to get a hold of that lamb. Oh, this this movie is notorious for its pop culture references, you know, ranging from like early 20th century all the way to uh, you know the 19 early 90s. Um, Robin Williams and the Genie of course being huge factors in the movie's sort of trendiness. Um, I guess the fact that he was throwing out references to things from classic Hollywood makes it a little less dated than it would be otherwise.
1: Do you think that since he, this is me going, I didn't want to make this all about Robin Williams, but whatever, now I'm thinking about it. Do you think he as a comedian helped at all? Did you read about this like with the scripting or did he ever improv or do you think Robin Williams had much freedom when it came to the genie's dialogue. Did you ever come across anything like that or was it pretty much written out and they read it?
0: I know that the film was totally scripted. They okay. never relied on Robin Williams coming up with uh, content. But,
1: relief or anything?
0: Well, they, but they did use plenty of his improvisations during the recording sessions. Um, he would tweak things and just provide his own spin on the material.
1: Uh, wait, so. did you say he would tweet things?
0: Um he like he would do the take as oh. written, yeah <laughs> I as was written thinking
1: on... about Twitter and I was like, Philip, there's no way that Robin Williams in the nineties was tweeting about this movie. Oh
0: I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah, tweak them. Um yeah and we haven't, you know, covered plot wise the moment where we're introduced to the genie. Um. Where everyone, I mean, everyone. They've all seen this <laughs> movie, so I feel like
1: it. It's okay yeah. with this podcast to kind of hop around because. Like, oh yeah. We've all seen it, so yeah. we meet the genie in the cave of wonders. He has the song of all songs, "Friend, Friend and Me." I don't never know the title, A but "Friend,
0: friend Like friend
1: Me," like me, yeah.
0: Nominated for an Oscar, written by uh, Alan Menken and Howard Ashman. Th- this you know is following the classic. Scene within the Cave of Wonders, uh, very reminiscent of something like Indiana Jones, as we mentioned earlier. Um, yep. Yeah, uh, touch nothing but the lamp, Clear, uh, apparently not including the magic carpet. We're, uh, the, the magic carpet, one of the most pivotal characters and I probably underrated carpet. characters <laughs> uh, in this film.
1: I mean, imagine being the animators and being like, okay, we're gonna have this carpet and you have to give it personality. We're gonna give you a rug, but like make it a character. And they do it. You know, he doesn't, uh, the carpet doesn't talk. He doesn't have dialogue. So that must've been pretty fun for the animation team because they could really.
0: Absolutely, it, yeah. Create
1: him to be, You, they make the carpet sad. They make the carpet happy. They make the carpet crazy and, I, I mean, like you said, it's kind of one of the unsung heroes of the group, or one of the stars is a rug, dirty rug. The
0: the carpet was the Mr. Mime of this. The film.
1: Mr. Mime, that is right. If you guys don't know what we're referring to, we did like the Pikachu one.
0: Yeah. Oh. For to uh, last episode, episode twenty six on Detective Pikachu.
1: Yeah, listen to it. <laughs> Phillips like
0: stop. <laughs> yeah. So somehow, yeah, this carpet got stuck in the. Uh, uh, like the sentient
1: cave of wonders,
0: in the cave of wonders, uh, mm-hmm. the, the, one of the treasures is just too alluring to the animal uh-huh. sidekick Abu, very very popular character Abu, um, but he's not quite as intelligent as uh, a human, Mm-mm. so <laughs> he uh, he is what you know unleashes a series of events uh, nearly resulting in the death of Aladdin and Abu. Uh, culminating in, uh, well, there's this chase through the, the Cave of Wonders when it's collapsing which was inspired by the kind of various virtual reality uh, theme park rides at the time as well as just traditional roller coasters too. Some of the crew uh, took trips on roller coasters at Magic Mountain, uh, the, one of the Six, Flags, uh, the, the Six Flags theme park out here. Um, and then also star tours. Jody. Oh, really? Mm-hmm.
1: It is one of the more intense scenes in this G-rated movie. Is trying to escape the cave of wonders because you have all these rocks falling, these twists, these turns. So I, I assume watching this in theaters would have been a little scary for the G-rated kids, mm-hmm. the little six and seven-year-olds. I remember watching that as a kid and and not really liking that scene because I'm, I mean, I'm not, oh. but but yeah, that that is a really cool animated portion of it probably mm-hmm. the most intense with the exception of uh at the end when Jafar mm-hmm. is like a snake
0: but yeah the yeah. uh this m- sequence involved a lot of computer animation a lot of 3d rendering and uh, even the the magic carpet character was accomplished through uh computer animation uh, mostly and uh the the film was uh rendered on the computer animation production system, CAPS, uh, created by Pixar, but made for use with uh, the Disney, Disney films. Um, starting with Rescuers Down Under, which came out after The Little Mermaid, but was not nearly as successful and often gets kind of neglected in the discussion of the Disney Renaissance era. But never forget <laughs> uh, Rescuers Down Under. Uh, definitely one of my favorites from back in that era.
1: I'd chime in, but I can't remember what it's about. <laughs> so I'm kind of well, letting you.
0: Yeah. Because
1: I can't, I know, I mean, wait, um, I know it's about mice. Or uh, no, it's about yeah. the, the eagle and the boy. Wait, no.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's both. Yeah, that
1: one. Oh, okay. Mice, eagle, boy. We should do a, I would love to watch it and talk about it, but I yeah. can't what it's about right now are they australia and they're flying around or something? the
0: first disney animated sequel um yeah that's set in australia the the rescuers characters from the first rescuers you know return bob newhart and ava gabor i believe are the voices um so some some early examples of celebrities voicing uh characters in animation um, but not you know, featured heavily on marketing and things like that. Um, but yeah, like um, the 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 whole computerized aesthetic of Aladdin just gives for a much cleaner look. Um, also mirrored in uh, Beauty and the Beast, and and I think The Little Mermaid to an extent. Um, although Little Mermaid was mostly the traditional analog process. Drawing, inking, and painting individual like physical cells, and then photographing them, photographing them individually. Um, Yeah, the the whole process of rendering in a computer made it a little bit difficult to um, make for uh, organic looking lines. Mm -hmm. The the outlines um, they wanted to give them sort of this organic fluctuation in breadth. Um, was, and they were eventually able to, to do so. Um, so you can see, you know, so in even the line work, the sort of uh, wavy uh, sort of alternation between very thin and then thick sort of calligraphic line aesthetic.
1: I think it's very cool.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so they get out of the cave, and
0: yeah i don't know if
1: you want to go through the plot but they i mean they get out of the cave and
0: uh,
1: i think he kind of Aladdin sort of like tricks him and it doesn't even count as a wish he's like Can you sh- i'm not sure that you're really magical even though like he just did this whole big huge song of, with magic he's like i don't think you're ma- most magical enough to get us out of here obviously the genie wants to be a little show-offy and zaps him out of there like you said they escape mm-hmm. and then they end up like out in the middle of nowhere and the prince is thinking about jasmine right because he had met her in the market and yes. he's like well how am i gonna get this girl to like me and that's like the plot mm-hmm. <laughs> how am i gonna get this girl to like me make me a prince and i think that's kind of where you you go from there and then you have this huge scene which is worth talking about w- of the parade when aladdin is a prince and this huge parade comes to agrabah and this is probably another scene that the animators had so much fun with because of the genie. He goes from being uh, the leader of it to being like these TV personalities talking about the parade to being like a cheerleader and Abu turns into an elephant. And it's almost, I mean, it's almost too much to talk about but this parade is like out of this world <laughs> to get to Jasmine's yeah. house and get her to fall in love with him. <laughs>
0: Mm-hmm. He's uh, mimicking the commenters, commentators mm-hmm. of the Macy's Thanksgiving Parade, and uh, one funny detail is that he's also wearing like winter clothes, and yep. there's uh, I love it. his the, his breath is like also uh, visible as if he's <laughs> outdoors in in freezing weather, even though it's obviously a blistering heat of the desert. <laughs> um yeah i think
1: that's probably that scene kind of reminds me of and and you remind me did a lion king come next or before this one After okay uh it's the just can't wait to be king style of just like really over the top uh, a fun number i think that everybody can get all pumped up again to get back into the plot because Mm -hmm. um i guess that's probably midway through the movie that the parade happens and he gets to meet jasmine and i know i just watched it this morning but Does she turn him away? Like, I'm drawing a blank. He goes in and does she say
0: no? There's that classic scene where Jafar, uh, the Sultan, and Aladdin are, or Prince Ali, are arguing among (laughs) among themselves. Uh, The Sultan's fully on board with Prince Ali because, you know, that it would um, prevent the necessity of Jasmine having to marry Jafar. Which uh, is a plot device introduced uh, previously, where you know Jafar is brainwashing the Sultan into uh, <laughs> carrying out Jafar's wishes. He's fully on board with Prince Ali, and the, the two the three of them are seen together, you, know, yeah. deciding the fate of Jasmine's uh, love life. And um, she overhears them and scolds them.
1: Oh, she says, I am not a prize to be won. Is that the, is that the part or no? Yes. Oh, okay, good, okay. Yeah, that is a classic moment.
0: Yeah, the, it's these three just very different characters reacting all in kind of the same way when they're being told off by Jasmine. Just very um, defeated by her reaction. And she
1: is very strong because can you imagine, I mean, back then being told, oh, you need to marry someone, you need to marry someone. And you know, the Sultan, mm-hmm. it comes from a really good place. If you hop back to the beginning, he's saying that not only does he want her to marry because it's like the rules, but he mm-hmm. wants her to find, you know, someone to spend her life with. I think the Sultan is such a good character and such a kind father. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just a little silly and stupid.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: But he loves her so much and then they, They go into, I mean, probably one of the most, it's hard to say the most famous scenes of all, but he, Aladdin, Prince Ali comes to Jasmine's terrace Mm -hmm. and they do the song, A Whole New World. And I mean, that's gotta be the, like the top three Disney love songs ever, right? A Whole New World. Yes. With Aladdin and Jasmine. And that's when I think she realizes that he is the guy from the market because he hands her an apple. Mm-hmm. And she kind of looks at him like, hmm, do I know you?
0: <laughs> yeah, totally.
1: Did Alan Menken do all the music? Like, is a whole new world And Alan Menken? It, I think you mentioned earlier, but did he have someone doing music Alan, with
0: him? Yeah, that was post uh, Howard Ashman's involvement. Uh, okay. and, and it was the film that, or the song that won the Oscar for best original song. not surprised Mm -hmm. Uh, Alan Menken and Tim Rice Tim Rice provided the lyrics Um, yeah Um, one of the all-time favorite Disney songs
1: and I know we're not talking about the live action but they do have that song in there because I saw it on the trailer I didn't know if they were going to have all the songs but A Whole New World is definitely going to be amazing in the live action
0: yeah um, it's definitely a highly exaggerated sequence in where, in where these characters are flying around the world. You know, traversing thousands and thousands of miles on this, and uh, knocking the nose
1: off the Sphinx.
0: Yeah, the this open um, carpet. Yeah, they're they're wreaking havoc havoc around the world. But yeah, it's. I guess explain through magic that they're able to uh, travel in the way they are. They 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 form a little uh, ice cream uh, cone in the sky,
1: mm-hmm. out of the clouds. Which,
0: if if given a more modern context, actually resembles the poop emoji. What the? <laughs> so you'll never be able to unsee <laughs> that.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Philip.
0: <laughs> the
1: most romantic song in time. Oh, and then there's like a poop emoji in the sky. Oh, all right, yep. sure.
0: Keep an eye out for the poop sure. emoji.
1: Then um, they fly home and they have the best Disney kiss ever.
0: Yeah, partially um, influenced by the, the carpet coming in clutch mm-hmm. for the kiss. Um, yeah, so so much of their interplay just really works just so exceptionally well. Uh, like even when they're first. Um, Yeah, meeting with each other. Like, it's just such arbitrary rules, of course, with how she is being forced to marry someone by her, like, one of her, it must be her, what, 16th birthday? I don't know who
1: Jasmine is, but they're typically pretty young, so 16 sounds about right.
0: Um, Yeah, I remember her being listed at 15 when we did our princess episode. She was one of the youngest.
1: They're such babies. Yeah,
0: I mean. it's crazy. Um, and then of course, the way she's drawn is very... Not
1: 15-year-old. Not
0: <laughs> um, yeah,
1: especially when... Okay, sorry, we're jumping the plot. But um, Especially when what? When she's in her red ensemble trying to... Like when Jafar... I don't know how... how they get from there to there, but when she's in her red costume, it's got to be like the sexiest Disney moment of all time. When she's like, <laughs> Your beard is so very twisted, or something like that, mm-hmm. and I'm like, Oh, okay, that and was a 15 year old doing that to a grown man. Like, mm-mm. Mm-mm.
0: Yeah. they uh, they had to watch uh, the parental guidance radar during that scene quite a bit, uh, <laughs> which uh. Yeah, I know um, we were talking previously before the recording, like the uh, possibility that this would have been a PG rated film and that the the directors were kind of relieved that it, you know, maintained the the G rating that Disney usually received, but also were a little bit like secretly uh, disappointed that it, it wasn't edgy enough. Mm-hmm. To, to garner the PG. Uh, today, I guess there would probably be some question of whether it would maintain that G rating. I feel like they're a bit... The, the MPAA um, just seems to rarely dole out the G rating anymore. And I, I think a big part of this is just audiences have come to expect um, PG as being the norm for, yeah. for kids. You know, If it's G, then it's just too
1: baby
0: yeah <laughs> although um toy story 4 uh, has been given a rating and it is g
1: well the main character is like a fork so i'm pretty sure it's not gonna be too nuts foodie mm-hmm. we can talk about that one later but you see that the main character is like a fork with <laughs> arms foodie
0: oh yeah uh porky <laughs>
1: porky. porky oh sorry I'm I just remember seeing that, I was like, huh, okay, I have no idea what this movie's going to be about, but that is a character now.
0: He's he's a sport. It looked like it could have some intense moments.
1: Well, I mean, it's, it's a G, so it can't, I mean, it won't be too intense.
0: Well, I, all of the Toy Story films have had some pretty intense moments, but they are involving toys. and And also, like how this movie is, it's involving animated characters, so you're able to get away with a little bit more objectionable content if it's not very realistic.
1: Yeah, like burying a 15-year-old girl in like a sand time thing. That was one of the scariest parts. I remember watching Aladdin when when Jafar has the powers and he he gets Jasmine stuck in this,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: what do you call those little time things? Hourglass? In an hourglass and she's like drowning in the sand. And I know as a kid, I was so scared that I'd come across like sinking sand, which I never have. And I probably never will. But I remember thinking that would be such a terrifying way to die. And she's, she's trapped in there, but they, they end up breaking her out. Spoiler.
0: Yeah. A very popular trope back in like the late eighties, early nineties, quicksand. And, and even prior to that, it's just, it's been one of the staples of uh, film and TV, (laughs) even though, um, that it's not really a thing in real life. <laughs> Quicksand.
1: Wait, quicksand's not a I mean, a thing? it's
0: not as deadly as Hollywood makes it out to be.
1: Well, yeah, but it exists like, well, bogs do. You can step into a bog and like sink down, down, Yeah, down. that's
0: true. Like the way you see in uh, Princess Bride. I mean, maybe they sort of, you know, there's the famous scene where they, you know, they just rapidly sink under this pit of of loose sand. Um, and like they have it make sense because there's like these air vents that um, you know that cause the pressure to release. So maybe there's some science to that. Um, but yeah, this this movie's version of <laughs> a quicksand sequence was uh, the hourglass. Actually, multiple scenes of characters being suffocated in in this movie.
1: Yeah, the snake he he grips at someone too. Yeah. right. Uh, Jafar and the snake because Jafar at this point, just to clarify, has become a genie.
0: Well, he's he's on his way, um, okay. early in, on on the track of um, <laughs> suffocation. Uh, the when Aladdin's captured right after the whole new world sequence, um, he's thrown into mm-hmm. the ocean, and um, that you know nearly drowns, thrown into the sea, mm-hmm. um, and and um, that ended up being one of the three wishes, even though kind of like the scene earlier. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. When Aladdin tricks Genie.
1: So clarify the wishes up to this point. The Getting out of the cave was not no. a wish. Wish to be a prince was a wish, and then being.
0: Oh, well, uh, it was, yeah. The Genie counted the second wish as being when he saved Aladdin from drowning.
1: Oh, weird, because I just Googled Aladdin's wishes, and you want to know what Google says? What is it? Google says that his three wishes are, one, to get out of the Cave of Wonders, two, for the genie to make him a prince, and three, for the genie to save his life. But I think you're right, Philip. I don't think the Cave of Wonders is one, because the third wish is to free genie. Like, that's the whole point of the movie.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Right? Exactly. So, Google's
1: got it I've, I've, We're right. Like, Google doesn't know.
0: Yeah, I mean, it seems a little inconsistent that the escape of the cave would not count as a wish, while the rescuing of Aladdin would, when neither of those were actually expressed. Wish. Yeah, um, but you know, it uh, boils down to I think one of the themes of the movie, which is you know the importance of service, and you know power being you know, necessary in, in the expression of doing goodness to others rather than to oneself. Um, it's, it's basically, you know, the whole superhero thing of with great power comes great responsibility
1: yeah i you wrote something in your notes before we started talking about this that i thought was really good oh the you wrote this and i was like oh my gosh Philip, that's so good but you're like the theme regarding service like the ultimate power is like service rather than self-centeredness and i'm like that is such a good reminder and that is such a good theme mm-hmm. that you that you jotted down there and i wrote it down in my book because i was like that should be the theme of my life but there's a lot of really good lessons in this one i mean uh, included along that one but you know, don't judge a book by its cover for Aladdin himself. Uh, don't force girls to do things that they don't want to do. Jasmine style. <laughs> yeah. And, and so on and so forth. They, they're they not new themes. I mean, this this story isn't like... The story itself isn't that new. It's what the animators did with it. It's the music they brought into it. It's the the really unique characters that they brought to life, like the carpet, that make it interesting because mm-hmm. it, the, the theme itself is like, I mean, it's done to death. Like, loser boy likes the hot girl. Hot girl's out of his league. He does something kind of wily, gets her the end. Like, it's, it is. I mean, if you break it down, it's, pretty, it's a pretty like classic story, but they they made it into something... I mean, above and beyond amazing, something that we're talking about 15 years later, this movie came out in 92, oh wait, 17, me with math, 17 uh, years later, is we're talking
0: about- <laughs> 27 years later.
1: Wait, 27, oh my yeah. gosh, 27 years I later, mean, almost three decades later, and now we're getting amped on the live- I, I still so, feel
0: 20, uh, I still feel 17.
1: We're 17, <laughs> we're 17. Uh, but, uh, but yeah.
0: Do you trust me? A new world.
1: Don't you dare close your eyes. A hundred thousand. Hold your breath to stay. Let me share this
0: whole new world with you. Mwah! Keep your hands and arms inside the carpet. We. Out of here! Alright, so, um, so, some final notes. Yeah, um, definitely. Like uh, Aladdin was originally drawn to be much more boyish, as we mentioned. Mm-hmm. You can kind of tell during the friend like me sequence, if you look closely, Aladdin's design is a is a little less um, yeah heroic looking. Um, it, of course, that being just such a colorful sequence, uh, a lot of exaggerated poses, and you know, genie Je- constantly transforming right that is just such a huge part of the appeal of this film you know the genie it can't be overstated his influence you know in in the success of this film but there's also just so much that works as we mentioned the romance and the action um, the the villains um
1: you know what's funny what's that we didn't talk about iago and Iago's like another no. huge supporting character. We've been talking for an hour and 10 minutes, but you just said the villains. Yeah. And I
0: mentioned Gilbert Godfrey. Oh, you did. At the you did. Oh, you did. But oh, uh, yeah,
1: Iago.
0: not so much his character. Yeah, he's... He's pretty sass. Um, yes. Jafar's kind of designed to look very rigid uh, as a counterpoint to the genie. Um, his design's based on just like a couple of conjoined triangles, um, whereas the, the Iago's character is, is more reminiscent of a piece of um, dishware, like kind of like the lamp itself.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: This, this film was also co-written by screenwriting duo, Ted Elliott and Terry Rossio, uh, who would go on to kind of most famously Pirates of the Caribbean for Disney, um, but when the trailer for the new Aladdin debuted, um, there was a line from that trailer only one may enter here, one whose worth lies far within
1: the diamond in the rough.
0: And that line was written by, um, the by Ted and Terry,
1: the diamond in the rough line,
0: yes, but, um. You know, neither of them are getting, you know, compensation for the, the live-action remake.
1: But didn't um, they do the scripting?
0: <laughs> they'll be getting credit, but they weren't consulted oh. on on the new film.
1: Oh. That kind so. of feels not so good, right?
0: I mean, it's... But it's guess, always it's, baby. Yeah. It wasn't in their contract to receive royalties on, I don't know, I, I guess... It's it's always such a huge legal process involved in you know getting someone's work approved to uh, to be put to picture.
1: Yeah, my job won't allow me to comment on copying Disney, so I'm <laughs> pretty quiet here. <laughs> For those who don't know, I do children's entertainment that has to do with princesses, but it has nothing to do with Disney.
0: <laughs> All right, well, that was Aladdin from 1992, um, a favorite of yours and mine, Jody, grown up, I'm sure.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, I've since revisited it several times uh, in, in my adulthood. In fact, I, I did see it in theaters here in Hollywood at the El Capitan Theater um, during, during a showcase of the work of Ron Clements and John Musker. Uh, I I believe John Musker has since left uh, Walt Disney Studios. Uh, He's, I think he's now retired as in terms of, you know, full-time work in animation, Uh, of course, very influential careers by both of these men um, in helping to save Walt Disney animation. So thanks so much, Jody, for joining me on this. Hope you had fun revisiting Aladdin.
1: I had more than fun. I feel like I get to relive a part of my childhood and it just gets me, sorry, I keep talking about it, but so excited for the live action coming up. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's one of my favorites and I can't wait to see what they do with it because I love what they did with it. And it was fun sort of looking back at it and learning so much more. You always have so many good facts to share. And I'm sort of like, but remember when they kissed? <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> I love it. I love Aladdin and I love the thoughtcast. So this was fun.
0: Oh, thanks so much. Yeah. Follow the Thodcast. Uh, We're on SoundCloud, iTunes, or uh, Apple Podcasts, um, Spotify, uh, Stitcher Radio for podcasting. Um, Find us at uh, thodcast.com, at Thodcast on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Jody, where can people find you?
1: Um, if you want to follow me, you can go to Instagram. It's J O D I P like puppy O L A S K Y, which is just my name, Jody Pulaski. And I post princess stuff and not as much animation stuff, but I'm going to try to steal some of Philip's animation drawings and share them on my Instagram. So if you want to see his very good artistic skills, you should follow me for that quick update.
0: Well, trying to get back into it. I don't know how long it'll be before I share anything uh you can follow me at philip elke last name spelled e-h-l-k-e philip with one l <laughs> it's yeah, a very yeah. confusing
1: not like aladdin with wait yeah. wait how many l's are in aladdin
0: um just the one oh
1: okay so it's, yeah. just like aladdin and philip like
0: aladdin <laughs> you can call me al <laughs> uh on, on twitter and instagram uh th- at <laughs> philip elke and uh Thank you so much for listening to the Thodcast. You all have a wonderful week.
1: And we'll see you back here hopefully real soon. So twisted.